Welcome to the show. Here's my dad. You're listening to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast, episode number 42, an adoption story with birth mom, Tammy Thompson Davis. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name's Tim Elder. This is the podcast all about domestic infant adoption. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you reach the dream of becoming parents. And thank you so much for joining me. You know, I hear from so many of you about how this show has helped you on your journey. And I just want you to know those emails, those messages mean so much to me, inspires me and motivates me to keep this show going. So thank you for listening and sharing the show with others. Okay, so today we have an amazing guest on the show. Tammy Thompson Davis is here to share her unique story about being a birth mom, an adoptive mom, and an adoption consultant. And really the most powerful part of her story that she's going to share today is about being a birth mom and having some rejection through hopeful adoptive parents, which is almost never heard of in the adoption world. So I really wanted to have her on and share that powerful story. She does an amazing job of doing that. And you'll hear her heart for uh, helping people. But she right now is the director and founder of the Family Building Project, which is a company that specializes in adoption education, networking, and marketing in the support of the adoption triad. Her own difficult experience as a birth mom led her to that, to begin this company uh, many years ago. And she's going to share with us today, you know, what it's like when she was 19 and a college student, she became pregnant with twin girls. We'll hear how and why she decided to place them and begin searching for the right adoptive parents and how those two devastating fall throughs with those parents and how she felt, how she was able to finally connect with the future adoptive parents on the very day her girls were born. And you're going to hear how she helps others navigate through the adoption process. You'll hear her heart she wants to give others what she longed for to receive as a birth mom, which is respect and support and education about the adoption process. She is very passionate and committed to adoption support and education, and she's just she's really proud of her unique perspective as both a birth mom and an adoptive parent and her work through the Family Building Project. And so this is why I'm so excited about talking with her today. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. Enjoy it, and here you go. Okay. Hi, Tammy. Welcome to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Tim. Thank you. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. And and getting to know you and your story, you truly have an amazing and interesting and unique adoption story. So I am honored and excited to have you on the show because I know your story, you have a lot to share and I know we have a lot we can learn from you. Uh, but in this, in this particular interview, I, I want to have you back on. I know I already know that, but in this interview, <laughs> I want to focus on your story and your experiences about being a birth mom, because I mean, you went through something that really isn't discussed much in the infant adoption world. I mean, not only having one, but two hopeful adoptive parents that back out on you prior to the birth of your twins. I mean, that's just incredible. And it, right. your story has an amazing ending, and uh, we want to talk about all that, but that's what I wanted to focus on today because I think it's important for people to know uh, that that kind of thing does happen. And so let's talk about your story, and uh, really, can you share with us just what it was like um, being a birth mom and specifically when you made the decision to place your children and how all that went? Sure. Um I came from a family where um, education wasn't 
really promote it um, beyond high school. And it was, I lived in a very small town, but I always dreamt of doing bigger things. And so I was the only person in my family that went off out of state to college. And, you know, I was just determined that I was going to get my education and be financially secure and travel the world and settle down, meet a nice man and have, you know, have a baby. And so that was what I planned. What ended up happening was very different. I did get out of the state and went to college and I was in college when I met someone that I cared about deeply and we had a relationship and I found out when I was 19 that I was pregnant and I was devastated. Um, This was what I did not want to happen to me. I didn't want to repeat the cycle of my family and I was actively trying to prevent pregnancy um, through birth control pills and honestly I'm not going to use an excuse of I was on antibiotics or anything. I wasn't. I just don't think that I was, you know, if I took it in the morning, the next day I might take it at night. And 20 plus years ago, I think that it was very important for you to take them regularly. And um, while I took them every day, if I skipped a day, I didn't worry very much. So, but I was devastated. I just didn't see this happening to me. This isn't the way my life was supposed to go. I felt such a sense of shame and sadness in fear, not only for myself, but for um, the baby at the time, what I thought was a baby that I was carrying. I knew that I didn't want to live a life where I was struggling, not just financially. I know it's not all about money, but I didn't want to struggle to give my children the day-to-day things that they needed. I, my family, my parents were already struggling to help my older sister raise her children three children. And I just didn't want to be that person who had to choose between going to school, working two jobs, being able to take off when my child was sick without worrying about putting a roof over our head or food on our table. And so I think right away, I mean, almost as soon as I received that positive pregnancy test, which was early, six weeks, maybe, I knew there were three options. And I I knew it was abortion, parenting, or adoption. And to me, it was in that order. Parenting was second on my list because of the difficulties I had gone through um, in my own family. So abortion was my first choice. I thought that will be quick. Um, I thought it would be easy. I have always been pro-choice. I had never really thought about it happening to me, but um, I was pro-choice for other people. I met with a clinic. I considered abortion, but in the end, what it came down to for me was that I was able to safely carry a pregnancy. It wasn't a health risk to me. I was not in a abusive relationship where it was going to be a risk for me or my baby. And I did have another option. There was another option out there and it was adoption. And I really didn't know much about adoption. Adoption was something, you know, maybe I'd heard about in a movie or, you know, read about in a, you know, celebrity in a magazine or something, but I didn't know a lot about it. So I was probably 15 weeks when I called an agency from the Yellow Pages and decided that that was what I was going to pursue, the the adoption route. And I don't know what I thought it would be like, but I I did kind of think it would be this fairy tale, wonderful, 
um, you meet this wonderful couple and you hand over the baby and it's just this beautiful thing. You feel like a hero in the end. So I called the agency and honestly, it, it wasn't a great experience, that phone call. I, I, I can pinpoint it to a few things, but um, by the time I got off the phone, I felt a little bit more ashamed. And um, I want to preface this by saying now that I work in the adoption field, I understand why some of these questions are necessary to make an adoption plan and to find the best families to present to the expectant mom. But at the time, in that first phone call, I really needed support and I really needed guidance and I really needed to be walked through the process. Instead, it was more of a questionnaire of, you know, did I use drugs or would I take a drug test? Um, did I drink? Did I have met multiple sexual partners? You know, how much financial support did I need? Did I know who the father was? And it just felt like this rapid fire question and answer. And I felt so defensive. I almost wanted to say, no, I don't drink or do drugs. Do you? You know, it was, <laughs> it made me feel a little bit defensive. And thankfully that's changed a lot. But this, this was pretty normal back then. Um, and I called multiple, um, a couple different agencies. But by the time I thought I was calling to interview them, to be honest, and by the time I hung up, I felt nervous that I had not passed their interview, even though I'd not used drugs or drank alcohol or had multiple sexual partners. Um, it just felt very intimidating. And I think that that's partly my age and not being very worldly, but also just those types of questions. It, it was it was a bit of a jolt into what this would be like for me. Yeah, that it, that's it's kind of disappointing, I guess, when you tell it that way, but it does it makes sense, especially uh, being that long ago that uh, agencies would just start in on asking you questions. And I hope, I believe it is different now. Um, were your family, I do too. were your family and friends, uh, you kind of talked about them a little bit there, were they supportive of your decision? Like when you decided, okay, I want to make an adoption plan. Were they on board with you? So I'm one of those rare, although, again, working in the field, it's not so rare, um, stories where I did not share my pregnancy or my decision, uh, my adoption with my immediate family. I knew I lived across the country, so that was easy. I knew if I told them um, that they would not be supportive because they were not educated about adoption. They felt, you know, I think they would take it as an insult that, I wasn't letting them help me and that I didn't think their life or the way they raised me or the way my sister was raising her children was good enough. I really thought that it would hurt them and it would insult them. And I didn't want to be a burden to them. In the end, I knew that this was ultimately my decision. And even if I moved back home and I had their support, I would be the mom. I would be always be their mom and be responsible for them. So as difficult as it was, I did not tell them. My my friends, on the other hand, were as supportive as they knew how to be. They thought abortion would be easier because it's you're done in a day. I mean, you walk in, you walk out, your problem is as you consider it at the time is gone. So certainly I had to have some tough conversations or some conversations with them about why it wasn't the right thing for me to do. And the birth father was supportive of abortion 
not so much of adoption. He was afraid of his family finding out. And we knew it was not going to be a long-term relationship by this point. So I did have a really supportive roommate. I had a really supportive uh, professor. And I went to the library and I checked out books. You know, the internet would have been a wonderful tool to have. But then I, I went and I I read, um, there were a few books, but there were some, mostly from an adoptive parent point of view, wanting to adopt. I read everything I could get my hands on. And the agency did send me some literature that was helpful. So for all the negatives associated with social media in this day and age, I think it's truly a godsend for birth mothers, for many expectant moms, birth mothers who can connect and support with each other and create an adoption plan. Ultimately, my OB was probably the person I felt most supported by through the pregnancy. He shared with me when I shared with him that I was pursuing adoption, that he and his wife had adopted domestically five years before. And the love that he felt for that little girl and the respect he had for that her birth mother was really helpful and really made it real for me to talk to somebody who was on the other side. So that's really where I got my support from. That's good. I'm glad you at least had some support there. I know it's, it's difficult and everybody's situation is a little bit different and, uh, but support is definitely, uh, important. So I'm glad you had that. Um, when you, you decided on, the agency you went, or did you decide on an agency or how did you eventually find uh, a match with a hopeful adoptive family? Yes, it was with an agency with the first family. Um, I was sent a lot of profiles, way too many. It was very (laughs) overwhelming. And again, you have to keep in mind back then profiles were typed pages of almost a resume with a little bit of their personal story. And then a few photos attached to it. Profiles have come a long way and they're beautiful now. Thank goodness. Um, And I think it's more about telling the story of the life your baby will be joining versus their resume. But I, I had, gosh, over 50 sent to me and it felt overwhelming. They all started to sound the same again, like a resume versus the story of their life that my child would be joining. I ended up choosing a family They were a little bit older. They'd been married quite a while. That felt like security to me, that they had been married a while and they were secure in their their jobs. They were educated. Education was very important to me. The agency saying they'd been waiting a long time, I kind of felt bad for them. Um, They weren't the youngest couple, but they were perfectly nice. And I didn't know what I was looking for, really. I knew I wanted emotional security, financial security, extended family And so they met all of those criteria. And because the social worker I was speaking with shared that they'd been waiting a long time and I should give them a try, I I did. I began speaking with them very quickly. We spoke on the phone initially, and then they did a match meeting within a week. They came, they were from out of state. They came up to meet me and at the agency. And then we just spoke regularly on the phone for the next three or four weeks. And then they, the plan was that they would come back up for an ultrasound at the 18-week ultrasound. Again, back then they didn't do ultrasounds every month or at, the, mm-hmm. at a whim. So I was having an ultrasound at 18 weeks. 
So you and that's matched, where things fell apart. <laughs> yeah. So you matched with them before you were 18 weeks. How long were you, how far were you along when they, when you matched? I called the agency right around 14, 15 weeks. I spoke with them around 15, 16 weeks and we, it felt like a long time, but it, we spoke every day. I'd met them and then they came back two weeks later for that first doctor's appointment. So I really was in the early stages of a match. Although, you know, I thought once you matched, you matched, that's, you know, that's just the way it is. And I, I did, I stopped looking for adoptive parents. I stopped reading profiles um, and was excited. They were attending an appointment. I was excited for them. I really felt lucky that I was the person able to show them their first ultrasound and let them share in that experience. And you said it, that's when it started to fall apart. Can you start talking about or, or explain what you mean by that? Yeah, that is the day it, it fell apart. We went in for the ultrasound and um, my, uh, there was an ultrasonographer doing the ultrasound, not my OB. And she, you know, started the ultrasound and they knew they were the adoptive parents and she was talking to them as she measured and looked at different things. And within a few minutes, the tone in the room changed. Mm. And the ultrasonographer said, I'll be right back. <laughs> and you never really want to hear that no. when you're in the middle of an ultrasound, whether <laughs> you're an expectant mom, hopeful adoptive parent, or just a, a mom having her baby. And I felt fear immediately that I had done something to hurt this baby or to let the baby, to, to, that the baby was not there, was not alive, or they'd done something and they were going to be let down. I couldn't imagine them leaving there devastated that they weren't going to have a baby. That was exactly what was running through my head as she left the room. And she went and got my OB, and it seemed to take forever, but it didn't. It was probably five minutes, and the OB came in and said, let's see what's going on here. And he puts the wand back on my stomach, and he said, well, mom and dad, and he looks at them and says, I have some news for you. You're not having one baby, you're having two. Mm. And my heart, I felt like it was an out-of-body experience. Personally, I, twins do not run in my family. I never imagined this. I was not huge for 18 weeks. But I never once thought it would be something they wouldn't want. She started crying, but you could tell it wasn't a good cry. It wasn't Mm -hmm. the excited, oh my goodness, what a blessing cry. It was a devastating cry. She didn't look at me. She let go of my hand. Husband started comforting her. I don't think the doctor really knew what was going on either. And he said, Tammy, I'll, I'll be right back. And he took them out of the room and I was laying in that room by myself. Oh, boy. <laughs> Again, something should have been done differently there, but I had tears streaming down my face. I felt such a sense of loneliness and over, just completely overwhelmed. He came back in and he said, um, so they're in my office. We're going to go talk to them. They're upset because this isn't something they planned. We're, we're going to talk. And so I was like, okay. And we went in the office and again, I felt such a sense of shame, like I'd let them down in some way, which is so silly, but the attitude had changed completely. They were holding hands. It was them against me. It felt like, and you know, he spoke and he said, we just can't do twins. We're just not at the stage of our life. And they weren't old. I mean, it's, it's not as if they were an older couple, I guess, 
you know, they weren't in their thirties or late forties. This just isn't what we planned. We just want to adopt one baby. Um, you know, we're, it just isn't something we're, we're able or willing to do. Wow. And Tim, honestly, I did not ever imagine that that happened. I, I just, it never crossed my mind that I would be looking in, at someone telling me. I had heard, you know, the agency had talked to me, are you sure? How do you know this is what you want to do? I never thought to ask, are they sure? Or right. what would make them back out? And so the very awkward part of all of this is that they had driven me to this doctor's appointment. Oh, no. So they had so to drive you home. They had, yeah. We left. I sat in the back seat. 19 years old, finding out I'm carrying twins, finding out this couple who I thought we were committed, backed out, and they dropped me off at home, and it it was not a good drop-off. It was a lot of crying, no hugging. We'll ha- they said, we'll have the agency call you. And I walked upstairs and laid on my bed and just sobbed. I mean... It was, yeah, it was devastating. Yeah, I can only imagine that. And I can't, as a hopeful adoptive father myself, and actually of having two that we've already adopted, I can't imagine. I mean, to me, twins would be like the an overjoy. You know, that'd be right. <laughs> that would be incredible. Right. Uh, so I just can't hardly right. put myself in the spot. And for of some them. people, I know it is. And in retrospect, I have. 22 years of working now in this adoption field and I have couples who do not want to adopt twins. And it's on my, as you can imagine, it's on my application. One of the first questions and you know, sooner now if you're carrying twins. And Mm. so thankfully I don't think that happens often, but there are reasons, whether it's the couple feeling like they're older and not able to take care of two, or maybe financially not feeling like they can afford the childcare for two or Maybe they do already have a couple of children and two more is just beyond. I do understand there are reasons. And and to be honest, I don't blame them. They didn't go into this knowing right. something and then back out. Uh, as hard as it was, I don't hold any bitterness towards that couple. How did you get all. through this then? I mean, they, your adoption agency contacted you then. Did they help you and support you through this or how how'd that go? So I I was dropped off around noon and the plan had been that we were spending the whole day together um, after the doctor's appointment. So I was back at my um, place by about noon and surprisingly, I did not hear from anybody at the agency all day. Didn't get a phone call. And I don't know if, I honestly don't know if they didn't call them right away, if they didn't reach, you know, their social worker and who didn't reach my, I don't know what happened, but it wasn't until the next day that I received a phone call from an on-call social worker, not my social worker, who said, you know, congratulations, we're twins and the name of the couple. Um, that's not something they're open to, almost as if it was like, they're not open to drugs or, you know, they're not open to that. So do you want to look through the profiles again? And I just said, no, I, I threw those away. I, I, I didn't keep those profiles. I thought I was matched and I, 
know. And I didn't feel like there was a lot of support or how are you? How are you? You know, how this must have been devastating for you. It was more like, I think most people feel like there are so many wonderful adoptive couples waiting for a baby, much less two babies, that the birth mom or expectant mom has so many choices. She'll get through this just fine because there are people lined up to take mm-hmm. her child. Whereas as a birth mother or expectant mother at the moment, um, and I refer to myself as a birth mother, I know that there's some question about the, the terminology, but I guess being a birth mother, having given birth place, that's the word I'm comfortable with. So I'm just going to stick with that. And it's not a insult or to expectant moms. But as a birth mother, I felt like there wasn't that, you know, not every couple is perfect for me. So to find that couple I thought was perfect for me and then to have it fall through, I would compare it to people saying there's so many fish in the sea, you know, when you're, when you're, oh, yes. you know, your engagement falls apart or something. No, you thought that person was for you and you were going to have a lifelong relationship with them. And so um, I did not get that support. I got the, well, there's so many other options. I wish I had had the education to stop and to, maybe not work with that agency again, but I didn't. I I didn't want to start all over. I filled out the 20 or 30 page medical social history. I had signed all of my medical records over to them. I had done everything. You know, there's a lot of paperwork you do before you get to the point of matching or so. Yes. I, I said to them, I'll look at profiles again, obviously only couples that are open to twins, but I would only like 10. I don't want 50 or 100 choices, 10 or 10 is plenty. So a few days later, I received a package of 10 or 15 profiles and started again. This time I had my roommates and my hallmates sitting around the room, all looking through the profiles with me, <laughs> you know, trying to find that perfect one because this was going to be the couple, you know, yeah. and they had to be perfect. And was it, an easier process to pick them out if you only had 10? It was easier. It was much easier. They didn't sound so much the same. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to just sit with 10 letters and photos. And I chose my second couple because I just loved their story. I loved the way they met and the volunteer work that brought them together and the the way they gave back to to their community through their professions when they were in the medical field. I loved that they had this huge extended family. They had traveled the world to give back in their, in their field. The adoptive mom was um, working in the field. I was actually studying at the time. They had financial security. That was important. But the fact that they had the time and the support and they were so loving to one another. And also they had lost a baby uh, the year before to SIDS. And mm-hmm. I felt my heart just broke for them. Mm-hmm. And again, the feeling that they would just cherish the, these babies so much because they had lost a baby touched me. So everything about their story touched me. And I just knew that this was it. And honestly, I was able to get through the first fall through knowing that if I had to go through that to find this couple, then I would walk through that fire again to make sure my babies ended up with this family. And so it took me a very short time to trust them and to 
connect with them because of the heartfelt and honest conversations we had right away about the fall through I had had, about the experience that I had, about what twins would mean to them. We met the next week and had a really strong relationship for the next, gosh, that was that was around 19 weeks. So for the next, so it was about 30, 32 weeks. Wow. Yeah, so it was quite yeah. a bit of time there you were matched with them. Yes, yes. When we saw each other, they did not live in the same, they lived one state away, but made visits easier, doctor's appointments easier. We did hospital tours together. We spoke often. We shared family pictures. I met their parents. I kept a journal for them. I let them name the babies. It was everything as a birth mother, I'd hope for in a relationship, we were in full agreement of post-adoption. We would, um, you know, share pictures and letters and some phone calls and, and we would play it by ear with visits. I didn't know what I could handle, to be honest with you. So, you know, an open adoption with visits afterwards did not appeal to me. It was not a deciding factor in, in, in this for me because I didn't know if I'd be able to handle that. You know, I grew up nannying, babysitting, loving children. I knew I'd love these babies so much, but I didn't know how much I could handle afterwards. So we just felt like, it just felt like we were on the same page about, about everything. I didn't know that they had had, they did not share with me, and I'm not sure why, that they had had a fall through where birth mother changed her mind mm-hmm. at birth about four months before our match. So in retrospect, I think that, you know, they had had a fall through with a birth mom they felt very connected with about four months before they connected with me. And they also were told that one of the warning signs of a birth mother changing her mind is when it's her first child because she doesn't know what she's going to experience and how that's going to feel. So what ended up happening, we had this great relationship throughout you know, from around 18, 19 weeks, uh, 19 weeks until Around 30 weeks, I went into preterm labor. It wasn't a huge surprise carrying twins, being 19. I was really small, a small person. So I went into the hospital, and they just said, we're just going to watch you, give you some medicine to slow things down, but you might want to let them know. And so I did call them, and we did decide they wouldn't come right away because they did think they were going to be able to slow things down, and they wanted to the doctors hoped to delay labor till 34 weeks. I guess, again, in retrospect, I should have been worried that they didn't come while I was in the hospital immediately just to check and just to spend a couple of days, but I wasn't. I was like, don't worry about it. We've got a few weeks. I'm fine. And then, and we talked regularly, not every day. I think they didn't want to bother me, but like every other day, and I'd give them updates. I and mean, I was doing really well. And at 32 weeks, though, my water broke. And they said, okay, the babies are coming in the next 24 hours. You need to call them. And I called. And it was evening. And she answered. And I said, hi, I guess what? You know, they're, they're going to come. It's going to be the next 24 hours. Come on up. And she's like, oh, okay, hold on. And she handed the phone to her husband, which 
I was surprised about. I was like, okay. And he said, with a with emotion and a crack in his voice, we don't know how to tell you this. We did not think this was going to happen. But we had a stork drop. I didn't even know that word existed. We had a stork drop two weeks ago. And the mom had 21 days to change her mind in that state, I guess. And we just didn't know if it was going to work or not. We'd been waiting so long and we'd had a fall through and, you know, we didn't know what you were going to do. And we have a baby. So they already had the baby placed with them? Yes. Wow. Ever, when I had spoken to them during the week, week, 10 days prior, they had a baby. Wow. But she had a right to change her mind, and that had happened to them before, and that scared them. And I guess they were scared I was going to, there was a chance I was going to have the babies fall in love with them, first, first children, and keep them. I was absolutely, it was the worst rejection I've ever felt in my life. To this day, it's the worst rejection I've ever felt. I questioned myself. Did I not give them enough reassurance that I was committed? What did I say? What did I do wrong? Should I have called more? What could I have done to prevent this? What was I supposed to do now? I said that to him crying. What am I supposed to do? I'm going to have these babies. I don't have a plan. What am I going to do? And they were upset. I mean, they did not expect this. I was doing great. I'd had my 28-week appointment, no signs of labor. Everything was going great. No reason to believe I was going to go into early labor, um, except that there's twins, and then you expect maybe two or four weeks before, but not eight or ten. So luckily, really, this is the only saving grace in this, is that I did ask for counsel after the first fall through the birth father and I talked and decided we wanted an attorney as well as the agency who represented the adoptive couple um, that was not associated with the agency. So he felt like a safe person to call. And in the state I gave birth in, the attorneys aren't allowed to make matches. So there was no way I was calling the agency again. But I knew, I mean, I had to do something. I couldn't do anything right then. It was 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. I even asked them if they still wanted them. Wow. I was that desperate. Like, I would ask them if they still wanted them. I, I guess I don't um, understand their thought process. If they already had a baby placed with them, were they going to tell you at some point that... They were going to tell me the next okay. week. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. That was their plan then. But this this snuck up on them and surprised them and surprised you and yes. kind of forced them to talk about it right They had then. to tell me because they yep. couldn't come. Yep. Wow. And they didn't want to adopt three children within three weeks of each, two weeks of each other, especially wow. two that were preemies who were going to be in the NICU. So that was, again, the worst rejection. I'll punch in the gut. And so many, many people think, adoptive parents think they wouldn't do that to someone. But I think if you've had a fall through at birth and a birth mother has changed her mind in the hospital and it was her first baby, and then you get matched again, and it's her first baby, and you've been waiting a while at the agency, and I blame the agency because the agency is the one that called them about a stork drop. And never um, told you. Oh, boy. So, and what were they supposed to say? No, we've, I guess they should have said no. Yes, that's what they should have said. It's what I would have done. But 
having lost a baby to SIDS and then lost a baby to an adoption fall through. You know, I try not to blame them, but personally it was truly the hardest thing that I, I think I've really gotten through. Okay. Thank you so much, Tammy, for sharing your heart and your story. Wow. I'm going to break this up. This will be part one and uh, she shares a whole lot more in part number two. So we're going to have that in the next episode. And I just hope you come back to hear the second part of it and the, the last part of her story. I know you're going to love it. And you're going to enjoy it. Uh, show notes for this will be on ep- episode 42. So infantadoptionguide.com slash 42. And you can find her over on Facebook. Search for the Family Building Project and you'll see where she's at there. And you can contact her through that Facebook page. And she's more than happy to share and and talk to you, uh, uh, no matter if you're an expectant mom, a birth mom, or a hopeful adoptive couple. So thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this podcast and you will come back for the next episode because you're just going to love how she wraps up the story and she shares some amazing lessons learned uh, that I know you're going to enjoy. I really had fun talking to her, so I I know uh, you'll love listening. And please, if you would, go on iTunes and share if you really enjoyed this podcast and enjoy what's going on here over there to iTunes and just share a quick review of what you think about the show. That really helps more people to be able to find the show and it helps me deliver great stuff to you. So thanks again for listening. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to my dad.